Hello everyone and welcome to the 6th episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we are reading chapters 11 through 12. And let me give a quick recap of what happened in the previous episodes. In the previous chapters, Percy had gone to was going to Yancey Academy, which was a school for troubled girls and boys. And he gives a background where he's not he says that he's he get like you know he gets into trouble a lot and that makes him switch schools and get expelled from a lot of them and so when he goes to Yancey he actually stays there for a year which is pretty surprising to him but then in the end he kills his algebra teacher who was actually a monster with a sword and then he goes uh or gets expelled from Yancey Academy after he throws one of his classmates into a water fountain, which he doesn't know how he does that. And then he and his mother go to Montauk and spend some time there and enjoy the beach and everything. And But it's cut short because a monster chases them, a minotaur, I should say, chases them until a hill where, after that hill is actually a summer camp where... Percy's mom or Percy's dad had told Percy's mom to go there or send him there because well because he was actually Poseidon Poseidon Percy's dad was Poseidon which is one of the big three gods and he figures that out uh, that he is the son of Poseidon when he's playing capture the flag and now and he has been offered a quest to get Zeus's uh, lightning bolt back because Zeus thinks that Poseidon might have done it and in order for Percy to you know clear his father's name he has to get the lightning bolt so we are on chapter 11 we visit the garden gnome emporium in a way it's nice to know there are Greek Greek gods out there because you have somebody to blame when things go wrong for instance when you're walking away from a bus that's just been attacked by monster hags and blown up by lightning and it's raining on top of everything else, most people might think that that's just really bad luck. When you're a half-blood, you understand that some divine force really is trying to mess up your day. So there we were, Annabeth and Grover and I, walking through the woods along the New Jersey riverbank, the glow of New York City marking the night sky yellow behind us, and the smell of the Hudson reeking in our noses. Noses. Grover was shivering and braying. His big goat eyes turned slit-pupiled and full of terror. Three kindly ones, all three at once. I was pretty much in shock myself. The explosion of bus windows still rang in my ears. But Annabeth kept pulling us along, saying, Come on! The farther away we get, the better. All our money was back there, I reminded her. Our food and clothes, everything. Well, maybe if you hadn't decided to jump into the fight... What did you want me to do? Let you get killed? You didn't need to protect me, Percy. I would have been fine. Slice like sandwich bread, Grover put in. But fine. Shut up, goat boy, said Annabeth. Grover brayed mournfully. Tin cans. A perfectly good bag of tin cans. We sloshed against mushy ground through nasty twisted trees that smelled like sour laundry. After a few minutes, Annabeth fell into line line next to me. Look, I... Her voice faltered. 
I appreciate you you're coming back for us. Okay? That was really brave. We're a team, right? She was silent for a few more steps. It's just that if you died, aside from the fact that it would be really it would really suck for you, it would mean the quest was over. This may be my only chance to see the real world. The thunderstorm fight finally let up. The city glow fl- faded behind us, leaving us in almost total darkness. I couldn't see anything of Annabeth except a glint of her blonde hair. You haven't left Camp Half-Blood since you were seven? I asked her. No, only short field trips. My dad... The history professor. Yeah, it didn't work out for me living at home. I mean, Camp Half-Blood is my home. She was rushing her words out now, as if she were afraid somebody might try to stop her. At camp, you train and train. All, that's all cool and everything. But the real world is where the monsters are. That's where you learn whether, whether you're any good or not. If I didn't know better, I could have sworn I, I, sworn I heard doubt in her voice. You're pretty, you're pretty good with that knife, I said. You think so? Anybody who can piggyback, a fury, piggyback ride a fury is okay by me. I couldn't really see, but I thought she might have smiled. You know, she said, maybe I should tell you something funny back on the bus. Whatever she wanted to say was interrupted by a shrill toot toot toot, like the sound of an owl being tortured. Hey, my reed pipes still work, Grover cried. If I could just remember a fine pat song, we could get out of these woods. He puffed out a few notes, but the tune still sounded suspiciously like Hillary Duff. Instead of finding a path, I immediately slammed into a tree and got a nice sized knot on my head. Adding to the list of superpowers I did not have. Infrared vision. After tripping and cursing and generally feeling miserable for another mile or so, I started to see light up ahead. The colors of a neon sign. I could smell food. Fried, greasy, excellent food. I realized I hadn't eaten anything unhealthy since I arrived at Half-Blood Hill where we lived on grapes, bread, cheese, and extra lean-cut nymph-prepared barbecue. This boy needed a double cheeseburger. We kept walking until I saw a deserted two-lane road through the trees. On the other side was a closed-down gas station, a tattered billboard for a 1990s movie, and one open business, which was the source of the neon light and the good smell. It wasn't a fast food restaurant like I'd hoped. It was one of those weird roadside curio shops that sell lawn flamingos and wooden Indians and cement grizzly bears and stuff like that. The main building was a long, low warehouse surrounded by acres of statuary. The neon sign above the gate was impossible for me to read. Because if there's anything worse for my dyslexia than regular English, it's red cursive neon English. To me, it looked like at new mess Darren Goman Meproum. What the heck does that say? I asked. I don't know, Annabeth said. She loved reading so much, I forgot she was dyslexic too. Grover translated, Auntie M's Garden Gnome Emporium. Flanking the entrance, as advertised, were two cement garden gnomes, ugly bearded little runts smiling and waving as if they were about to get their picture taken i crossed the street following the smell of the hamburgers hey grover warned the lights are on inside annabeth said maybe it's open snack bar i said wistfully snack bar she agreed are you too crazy grover said this place is weird 
We ignored him. The front law was a forest of statues. Cement animals, cement children, even a cement satire playing the pipes, which gave Grover the creeps. Bleh! He bleated. Looks like my Uncle Ferdinand. We stopped at the warehouse door. Don't knock, Grover pleaded. I smell monsters. Your nose is clogged up from the furies, Annabeth told him. All I smell is burgers. Aren't you hungry? Meat, he said scornfully. I'm a vegetarian. You eat cheese enchiladas and aluminum cans, I reminded him. Those are vegetables. Come on, let's leave. These statues are looking at me. Then the door creaked open, and standing in front of us was a tall Middle Eastern woman. At least, I assumed she was Middle Eastern, because she wore a long black gown that covered everything but her hands, and her head was completely veiled. Her eyes glinted behind a curtain of black gauze, but that was about all I could make uh, make out. Her coffee-colored hands looked old, but well-manicured and elegant, so I imagined she was a grandmother who had once been a beautiful lady. Her accent sounded vaguely Middle Eastern, too. She said, Children, it is too late to be out all alone. Where are your parents? They're, um, Annabeth started to say. We're orphans, I said. Orphans, the woman said. The words sounded alien in her mouth. But my dears, surely not. We got separated from our caravan, I said. Our circus caravan. The ringmaster told us to meet him at the gas station if we got lost. But he may have forgotten. Or maybe he, or maybe he meant a different gas station. Anyway, we're lost. Is that food I smell? Oh, my dears, the woman said. You must come in, poor children. I am Auntie M. Go through, go straight through the, to the back of the warehouse, please. There's a dining area. We thanked her and went inside. Annabeth muttered to me. Circus caravan? Always have a strategy, right? Your head is full of kelp. The warehouse was filled with more statues, people in all different poses, wearing all different outfits and with different expressions on their faces. I was thinking you'd have to have a pretty huge garden to fit even one of those statues because they were all life-size. Mostly, I was thinking about food. Go ahead, call me an idiot for walking to a strange lady's shop like that just because I was hungry. But I do impulsive stuff sometimes. Plus, you've never smelled Auntie M's burgers. The aroma was like laughing gas in the dentist chair. It made everything else go away. I barely noticed Grover, Grover's n- nervous whimpers, or the way the statue's eyes seemed to follow me, or the fact that Auntie M had locked the door behind us. All I cared about was finding the dining area, and sure enough, there it was, at the back of the warehouse. A fast food counter with a grill, a soda fountain, a pretzel heater, and a nacho cheese dispenser. Everything you could want, plus a few steel picnic tables out front. Please sit down, Auntie M said. Awesome, I said. Um, Grover said reluctantly. We don't have any money, ma'am. Before I could jam him in the ribs, Auntie M said, No, 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 children, no money. This is a special case, yes? It is my treat for such nice orphans. Thank you, ma'am, Annabeth said. Auntie M stiffened, as if Annabeth had done something wrong. But then the old woman relaxed just as quickly, so I figured it must have been my imagination. 
Quite all right, Annabeth, she said. You have such beautiful gray eyes, child. Only later did I wonder how only later did I wonder how she knew Annabeth's name, even though we had never introduced ourselves. Our hostess disappeared b- behind the snack counter and started cooking. Before we knew it, she brought us plastic trays heaped with double cheeseburgers, vanilla shakes, and extra, extra large servings of french fries. I was halfway through my burger before I remembered to breathe. Annabeth slurped her shake. Grover picked at the fries and eyed the tray's wax paper lining liner as if he might go for that. But he still looked too nervous to eat. What's that hissing noise? he asked. I listened, but didn't hear anything. Annabeth shook her head. Hissing? Auntie Em asked. Perhaps you hear the deep fryer oil. You have keen ears, Grover. I take vitamins for my ears. That's admirable, she said. But please, relax. Auntie Em ate nothing. She hadn't taken off her headdress even to cook. And now she sat forward and interlaced her fingers, fingers and watched us eat. It was a little unsettling, having someone stare at me when I couldn't see her face, but I was feeling satisfied after the burger, and a little sleepy, and I figured the least I could do was try to make small talk with our hostess. So, you sell gnomes, I said, trying to sound interested. Oh yes, Auntie M said, and animals and people. Anything for the garden. Custom orders? Statuary is very popular, you know. A lot of business on this road? Not so much, no. Since the highway was built, most cars, they do not go this way now. I must cherish every customer I get. My neck tingled, as if somebody else was looking at me. I turned, but it was just a statue of a young girl holding an Easter basket. The detail was incredible, much better than you see in most garden statues. But something was wrong with her face. It looked like as if she was startled, or even terrified. Ah, Auntie M said sadly. You notice some of my creations do not turn out well. They are marred. They do not sell. The face is the hardest to get right. Always the face. You make these statues yourself? I asked. Oh yes. Once upon a time, I had two sisters to help me in the business. But they have passed on. And Auntie Emma is alone. I, I have only my statues. This is why I make them, you see. They are my company. The sadness in her voice sounded so deep and so real that I couldn't help feeling sorry for her. Annabeth had stopped eating. She sat forward and said, Two sisters? It's a terrible story, Auntie M said. Not one for children, really, you see, Annabeth. A bad woman was jealous of me long ago. When I was young, I had a, a boyfriend, you know, and this bad woman was determined to break us apart. She caused a terrible accident. My sisters stayed by me. They shared my bad fortune as long as they could. But eventually... They passed on. They faded away. I alone have survived, but at a price. Such a price. I wasn't sure what she meant, but I felt bad for her. My eyelids kept getting heavier. My full store, my full stomach making me sleepy. Poor old lady. Who would want to hurt somebody so nice? Percy? Annabeth was shaking me to get, me, get my attention. Maybe we should go. I mean, the ringmaster will be waiting. She sounded tense. I wasn't sure why. Grover was eating the wax paper off the tray now. But if Auntie M found that strange, she didn't say anything. Such beautiful gray eyes, Auntie M told Annabeth again. My, yes. It has been a long time since, I, since I've seen gray, gray eyes like those. 
She reached out to stroke Annabeth's cheek, but Annabeth stood up abruptly. We really should go. Yes! Grover swallowed his wax paper and stood up. The ringmaster's waiting, right? I didn't want to leave. I felt full and content. Auntie M was so nice, I wanted to stay with her a while. Please, dears, Auntie M pleaded. I so rarely get to be with children. Before you go, won't you at least sit for a pose? A pose? Annabeth asked warily. A photograph. I will use it to model a new statue set. Children are so popular, you see. Everyone loves children. Annabeth shifted her way from foot to foot. I don't think we can, ma'am. Come on, Percy. Sure we can, I said. I was irritated with Annabeth for being so bossy, so rude to an old lady who just fed us for free. It's just a photo, Annabeth. What's the harm? Yes, Annabeth, the woman, pour- the woman purred. No harm. I could tell Annabeth didn't like it, but she allowed Auntie M to lead us back out the front door into the garden of statues. Auntie M directed us to a park bench next to the, next to a, the stone satire. Now, she said, I'll just position you correctly. The young girl in the middle, I think, and the two young gentlemen on either side. Not much light for a photo, I remarked. Oh, enough, Auntie M said. Enough for us to see each other, yes? Where's your camera? Grover asked. Auntie M stepped back, as if to admire the shot. Now the face is most difficult. Can you smile for me, everyone? For me, please, everyone? A large smile? Grover glanced at the cement satire next to him and mumbled, That sure does look like Uncle Ferdinand. Grover, Auntie M chastised, Look this way, dear. She still had no camera in her hands. Percy, Annabeth said, Some instinct warned me to listen to Annabeth, but I was fighting the sleepy feeling, the the comfortable lull that came from the food and the old lady's voice. I'll be just a moment, Auntie M said. You know I can't see you very well in this cursed veal. Percy, something's wrong, Annabeth insisted. Wrong, Auntie M said, reaching up to undo the wrap around her head. Not at all, dear. I have such noble company tonight. What could be wrong? That is Uncle Ferdinand, Grover gasped. Look away from her, Annabeth shouted. She whipped her Yankees cap onto her head and vanished. Her invisible hands pushed Grover and me off the bench. I was on the ground, looking at Auntie uh, Aunt M's uh, sandaled feet. I could hear Grover scrambling off in one direction, Annabeth in the other, but I was too dazed to move. Then I heard a strange, rasping sound above me. My eyes rose to Auntie M's hands, which had turned gnarled and warty with sharp bronze talons for fingernails. I almost looked higher, but somewhere off to my left, Annabeth screamed, No, don't! More rasping, the sound of tiny snakes right above me from, from about where Auntie M's head would be. Run! Grover bleated. I heard him racing across the gravel, yelling, Maya! To kickstart his flying sneakers. I couldn't move. I stared at Auntie M's gnarled claws and tried to fight the groggy tans the old woman had put me in. Such a pity to destroy a handsome young face, she told me soothingly. Stay with me, Percy. All you have to do is look up. I fought the urge to obey. Instead, I looked to one side and saw one of those glass spheres people put in the garden, a gazing ball. 
I can see Auntie M's dark reflection in the orange glass. Her headdress was gone, revealing her face as a shimmering pale circle. Her hair was moving, riddling, riddling like serpents. Auntie M. Auntie M. How could I have been so stupid? Think, I told myself. How did Medusa die in the myth? But I couldn't think. Something told me that in the myth, Medusa had been asleep when she was attacked by my namesake, Perseus. She wasn't anywhere near sleep, asleep now. If she wanted, she could, have ta- she could take those talons right now and rake open my face. The gray-eyed one did this to me, Percy, Medusa said. And she didn't sound anything like a monster. Her voice invited me to look up, to sympathize with the poor old grandmother. Annabeth's mother, the cursed Athena... Turn me from a beautiful woman into this. Don't listen to her, Annabeth's voice shouted somewhere in the statuary. Run, Percy! Silence, Medusa snarled. Then her voice modulated back to a comforting purr. You see why I must destroy the girl, Percy. She's my enemy's daughter. I shall crush her statue to dust. But you, dear Percy, you need not suffer. No, I muttered. I try to make my legs move. Do you really want to help, help the gods? Medusa asked. Do you understand what awaits you on this foolish quest, Percy? What will happen if you reach the underworld? Do not be a pawn of the Olympians, my dear. You'll be better off as a statue. Less pain. Less pain. Percy! Behind me, I heard a buzzing sound, like a 200-pound hummingbird in a nosedive. Grover yelled, Duck! I turned, and he there he was in the night sky, flying in from 12 o'clock with his winged shoes fluttering. Grover, holding a tree branch the size of a baseball bat. His eyes were shut tight. His head was twitched from side to side. He was navigating by ears and nose alone. Duck! He yelled again. I'll get her! That finally jolted me into action. Knowing Grover, I was sure he'd miss Medusa and nail me. I drove to one side. Thwack! At first, I figured it was the sound of Grover hitting a tree. Then Medusa roared with rage. You miserable satire, she snarled. I'll add you to my collection. That was for Uncle Ferdinand, Grover yelled back. I scrambled away and hid in the statuary while Grover swooped down for another pass. Grrrwhack! Arg! Medusa yelled, her snake hair hissing and spitting. Right next to me, Annabeth's voice said, Percy! I jumped so high, my feet nearly cleared a garden gnome. Jeez, don't do that! Annabeth took off her Yankees cap and became visible. You have to cut her head off. What? Are you crazy? Let's get out of here! Medusa is a menace. She's evil. I'd kill her myself, but... Annabeth swallowed, as if she were about to make a difficult admission. But you've got the better weapon. Besides, I never get close to her. She'd slice me to bits because of my mother. You, you've got a chance. What? I can't. Look, do you want her turning more innocent people into statues? She pointed to a pair of statue lovers. A man and a woman with their arms around each other turned to stone by the monster. Annabeth grabbed a green gazing ball from a nearby pedestal. A polished shield would be better. She studied the sphere critically. 
the convex convexity will cause some distortion. The reflection size should be off by a factor of. Would you speak English? I am. She tossed me the glass ball. Just look at her in the glass. Never look at her directly. Hey guys! Grover yelled somewhere above us. I think she's unconscious. Roar! Maybe not. Grover corrected. He went in for another pass with a tree branch. Hurry! Annabeth told me. Grover's got a great nose, but he eventually he'll eventually crash. I took out my pen and uncapped it. The bronze blade of Riptide elongated in my hand. I followed the hissing and spitting sounds of Medusa's hair. I kept my eyes locked on the gazing ball, so I'd only glimpse Medusa's reflection, not the real thing. Then, in the green-tinted glass, I saw her. Grover was coming in for another turn at bat, but this time he flew a little low. Medusa grabbed the stick and pulled him off course. He tumbled through the air and crashed into the arms of a stone grizzly bear with a pa- painful oomph. Medusa was about to lunge at him when I yelled, "Hey!" I advanced on her, which wasn't easy. Holding a sword and a glass ball, if she charged, I'd have a hard time defending myself. But she let me approach. Twenty feet, ten feet. I could see the reflection of her face now. Surely it wasn't really that ugly. The green swirls of the gazing ball must be distorting it, making it look worse. You wouldn't harm an old woman, Percy. She crooned. I know you wouldn't. I hesitated, fascinated by the face I saw reflected in the glass, the eyes that seemed to burn straight through the green tint, making my arms go weak. From the cement grizzly, Grover moaned, "Percy, don't listen to her." Medusa cackled. Too late. She lunged at me with her talons. I slashed up with my sword, hearing a snickling, sickening shock. Then a hiss like wind rushing out of a cavern. The sound of a monster disintegrating. Something fell to the ground next to my foot. It took all of my willpower not to look. I could feel warm ooze soaking into my soaking into my sock. Little dying snakeheads tucking tugging at my shoelaces. Shoelaces. Oh yuck," Grover said. His eyes were still tightly closed, but I guess he could hear the thing gurgling and steaming. Mega yuck. Annabeth came up next to me, her eyes vi- fixed on the sky. She was holding Medusa's bl- Medusa's black veil. She said, "Don't move." Very, very carefully, without looking down, she knelt and draped the monster's head in black cloth, then picked it up. It was still gripping, dripping green juice. Are you okay? She asked me, her voice trembling. Yeah, I decided. Though I felt like throwing up my double cheeseburger. Why didn't, why didn't the head evaporate? Once you sever it, it becomes a spoil of war. She said, same as your minotaur horn. But don't unwrap the head; it can still petrify you. Grover moaned as he climbed down from the grizzly statue. He had a big welt on his forehead. His green rasta cap hung from one of his little goat horns, and his fake feet had not been knocked off his hooves. The magic sneakers were flying aimlessly around his head. The Red Baron, I said. Good job, man. He managed a bashful grin. That was that really was not fun, though. Well, the hitting her with a stick. Part that was fun, but crashing into a concrete bear, not fun. He snatched his shoes out of the air. I recapped my sword. Together, the three of us stumbled back to the warehouse. We found some old plastic grocery bags behind the snack counter and double wrapped Medusa's head. 
We plopped it, plopped it on the table where we eaten dinner and, and sat around it, too exhausted to speak. Finally, I said, So we have Athena to thank for this monster. Annabeth flashed me an irritated look. Your dad, actually. Don't you remember? Medusa was Poseidon's girlfriend. They decided to meet in my mother's temple. That's why Athena turned her into a monster. Medusa and her two sisters, who had helped her get into the temple, they became the three Gorgons. That's why Medusa wanted to slice me up. But she still wanted, she wanted to preserve you as a nice statue. She's still sweet on your dad. You probably reminded her of him. My face was burning. Oh, so it's my fault we met Medusa. Annabeth straightened. In a bad imitation of my voice, she said, It's just a photo, Annabeth. What's the harm? Forget it, I said. You're impossible. You're insufferable. You're... Hey, Grover interrupted. You two are giving me a migraine, and satyrs don't even get migraines. What are we going to do with the head? I stared at the thing. One little snake was hanging out of a hole in the plastic. The words printed out on the side of the bag said, We appreciate your business. I was angry, not with just a- Annabeth or her mom, but with all the gods for this whole quest, for getting us blown off the road in, in two major fights the very first day out from camp. At this rate, we'd never make it to LA, alive, much less before the summer solstice. What had Medusa said? Do not be a pawn of the Olympians, my dear. You'll be better off as a statue. I got up. I'll be back. Percy, Annabeth called after me. What are you? I searched the back of the warehouse until I found Medusa's office. Her account book showed her six most recent sales, all shipments to the underworld to decorate Hades and Persephone's garden. According to one freight bill, the underworld's billing address was DOA Recording Studios, West Hollywood, California. I folded up the bill and stuffed it in my pocket. In the cash register, I found $20, a few golden drachmas, and some packing slips for Hermes Overnight Express, each with a little leather bag attached for coins. I rummaged around the rest of the office until I found the right size box. I went back to the picnic table, packed up Medusa's head, and filled out a delivery slip. The gods, Mount Olympus. 600th floor, Empire State Building, New York, NY. With best wishes, Percy Jackson. They're not going to like that, Grover warned. They'll think you're impertinent. I poured some golden drachmas in the pouch. As soon as I closed it, there was a sound like a cash register. The package floated off the table and disappeared with a pop. I am impertinent, I said. I looked at Annabeth, daring her to criticize. She didn't. She seemed resigned to the fact that I had a major talent for ticking off the gods. Come on, she muttered. We need a new plan. And that is the end of chapter 11. And that was a pretty interesting chapter considering that on their first day of, you know, getting the quest, they actually fight Medusa. Well, I'm guessing Medusa really wants to turn almost everyone into stone. So it's not really like, you know, maybe a rare, like, legendary thing to meet Medusa. But, you know, it's a pretty cool thing that, you know, Percy, who had the, who had come from the name Perseus, had slain Medusa again. And so it's kind of like a... The myth had come alive. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And after these ads, we will read chapter 12. We get advice from a poodle.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back from the ads. And now we are going to read chapter 12. We get advice from a poodle. We were pretty miserable that night. We camped out in the woods a 100 yards from the main road in a marshy clearing that local kids had obviously been using for parties. The ground was littered with flattened soda cans and fast food wrappers. We'd taken some food and blankets from Auntie M's, but we didn't dare light a fire to dry our damn clothes. The Furies and Medusa had provided uh, enough excitement for one day. We didn't want to attract anything else. We decided to sleep in shifts. I volunteered to take first watch. Annabeth curled up on the blankets and was snoring as soon as her head hit the ground. Grover fluttered with his flying shoes to the lowest bow of a tree, put his back to the trunk, and stared at the night sky. Go ahead and sleep, I told him. I'll wake you if there's trouble. He nodded, but still didn't close his eyes. It makes me sad, Percy. What does? The fact that you signed up for the stupid quest? No, this makes me sad. He pointed at all the car garbage on the ground and the sky. In the sky. You can't even see the stars. They've polluted the sky. This is a terrible time to be a satire. Oh yeah, I guess you'd be an environmentalist. He glared at me. Only a human wouldn't be. Your species is clogging up the world so fast. Ah, never mind. It's useless to lecture a human. At the rate things are going, I'll never find Pan. Pam? Like the cooking spray? Pan! He cried indignantly. P-A-N! The great god Pan? What do you think I want a searcher's license for? A strange breeze rustled through the clearing, temporarily overpowering the stink of trash and muck. It brought the smell of berries and wildflowers and clean rainwater, things that might have once been in these woods. Suddenly, I was nostalgic for something I'd never known. Tell me about the search, I said. Grover looked at me cautiously, as if he were afraid I was making fun. The god of wild places disappeared 2,000 years ago, he told me. A sailor off the coast of Ephesus heard a mysterious voice crying out from the shore. Tell them that the great god Pan had died, has died. When humans heard the news, they believed it. They've been pillaging Pan's kingdom ever since. But for the satires, Pan was our lord and master. He protected us in the wild places of the earth. We refused to believe that he died. In every generation, the bravest satires pledged their lives to finding Pan. They searched the earth, exploring all the wildest places, hoping to find where he is hidden and wake him from his sleep. And you want to be a searcher? It's my life's dream, he said. My father was a searcher. And my uncle Ferdinand? The statues you saw back there? Oh, right. Sorry. Grover shook his head. Uncle Ferdinand knew the risks. So did my dad. But I'll succeed. I'll be the first searcher to return alive. Hang on. The first? Grover took his reed pipes out of his pocket. No searcher has ever come back. Once they set out, they disappear. They're never seen alive again. Not once in 2,000 years? No. And your dad? You have no idea what happened to him? None. But you still want to go, I said, amazed. I mean, you really think you'll be the one to find Pan? I have to believe that, Percy. Every searcher does. It's the only thing that keeps us from despair when we look at what humans have done to the world. I have to believe Pan can still be awakened. 
I stared at the orange haze of the sky and tried to understand how Grover could pursue a dream that seemed so hopeless. Then again, was I any better? How are we going to get into the underworld? I asked him. I mean, what chance do we have against God? I don't know, he admitted. But back at Medusa's, when you were searching her office, Annabeth was telling me... Oh, I forgot. Annabeth will have a plan all figured out. Don't be so hard on her, Percy. She's had a a tough life, but she's a good person. After all, she forgave me. His voice faltered. What do you mean? I asked. Forgave you for what? Suddenly, Grover seemed very interested in playing notes on his pipes. Wait a minute, I said. Your first keeper job was five years ago. Annabeth has been at camp five years. She wasn't... I mean, your first assignment that went wrong? I can't talk about it, Grover said, and his quivering lower lip suggested he'd start crying if I pressed him. But as I was saying, back at Medusa's, Annabeth and I agreed there's something strange going on with this quest. Something isn't what it seems. Well, duh, I'm getting blamed for stealing a thunderbolt that Hades took. That's not what I mean, Grover said. The fear, the fear, the kindly ones were sort of holding back. Like Mrs. Dodds at Yancey Academy. Why did she wait so long to try to kill you? Then on the bus, they just weren't as aggressive as they could have been. They seemed plenty aggressive to me. Grover shook his head. They were screeching at us. Where is it? Where? Asking about me, I said. Maybe, but Annabeth and I, we both got the feeling that they weren't asking about a person. They said, where is it? They seemed to be asking about an object. That doesn't make sense. I know. But if we misunderstood something about this quest, and we have o- we only have nine days to find the Master Bowl. He looked at me like he was hoping for answers, but I didn't have any. I thought about what Medusa had said. I was being used by the gods. What lay ahead of me was worse than petrification. I haven't been straight with you, Grover. I told Grover. I don't care about the Master Bowl. I agreed to go to the Underworld so that I could bring back my mother. Grover blew a soft note on his pipes. I know that, Percy, but are you sure that's the only reason? I'm not doing it to help my father. He doesn't care about me. I don't care about him. Grover gazed down from his tree branch. Look, Percy, I'm not as smart as Annabeth. I'm not as brave as you, but I'm pretty good at reading emotions. You're glad your dad is alive. You feel good that he's claimed you, and part of you wants to make him proud. That's why you mailed Medusa's head to Olympus. You wanted him to notice what you've done. What you've done. Yeah? Well, maybe satire emotions work differently than human emotions. Because you're wrong. I don't care what he thinks. Grover pulled his feet up up onto the branch. Okay, Percy. Whatever. Besides, I haven't done anything worth bragging about. We barely got out of New York and we're stuck here with no money and no way west. Grover looked at the night sky like he was thinking about that problem. How would I take first watch, huh? You get some sleep. I wanted to protest, but he started to play Mozart, soft and sweet. And I turned away, my eyes stinging. After a few bars of piano concerto number 12, I was asleep. In my dreams, I stood in a dark cavern between a gaping pit. Gray mist creatures churned all around me, whispering rags of smoke that I somehow knew were the spirits of the dead. They tugged at my clothes, trying to pull me back, 
but I felt compelled to walk forward to the very edge of the chasm. Chasm. Is it chasm or chasm? Chasm. Looking down made me dizzy. The pit yawned so wide and was so completely black. I knew it must be part of bottomless. Yet I had a feeling that something was trying to arise from the abyss. Something huge and evil. The little hero. An amused voice echoed far down in the darkness. Too weak, too young, but perhaps you will do. The voice felt ancient, cold and heavy. It wrapped around me like sheets of lead. They have misled you, boy, it said. Barter with me. I will give you what you want. A shimmering image hovered over the void. My mother, frozen at the moment she dissolved in a shower of gold. Her face was distorted with pain, as if the minotaur was still squeezing her neck. Her eyes looked directly at me, pleading, Go! I tried to cry out, but my voice wouldn't work. Cold laughter echoed from the chasm. An invisible force pulled me forward. It would drag me into the pit until, unless I stood firm. Help me rise, boy. The voice became hungrier. Bring me the bolt. Strike a blow against the treacherous gods. The spirits of the dead whispered around me. No, wake! The image of my mother began to fade. The thing in the pit tightened its unseen grip around me. I realized it wasn't interested in pulling me in. It was you. It was using me to pull itself out. Good, it murmured. Good. Wake! The dead whispered. Wake! Someone was shaking me. My eyes opened and it was daylight. Well... Annabeth said, the zombie lives. I was trembling from the dream. I could still feel the grip of the chasm monster around my chest. How long was I asleep? Long enough for me to cook breakfast. Annabeth tossed me a bag of nacho-flavored corn chips from Auntie M's snack bar. And Grover went exploring. Look, he found a friend. My eyes had trouble focusing. Grover was sitting cross-legged on a blanket with something fuzzy in his lap, a dirty, unnaturally pink-stuffed animal. No, it wasn't a stuffed animal. It was a pink poodle. The poodle yapped at me suspiciously. Grover said, no, he's not. I blinked. Are you talking to that thing? The poodle growled. This thing, Grover warned, is our ticket west. Be nice to him. You can talk to animals? Grover ignored the question. Percy, meet Gladiola. Gladiola, Percy. I stared at Annabeth, figuring she'd crack up at this practical joke they were playing on me. But she looked deadly serious. I'm not saying hello to a pink poodle, I said. Forget it. Percy, Annabeth said. I said hello to the poodle. You say hello to the poodle. The poodle growled. I said hello to the poodle. Grover explained that he'd come across Gladiola in the woods, and they struck up a conversation. The poodle had run away from a rich local family who'd posted a $200 reward for his return. Gladiola didn't really want to go back to his family, but he was willing to if it meant helping Grover. How does Gladiola know about the reward, I asked. He reads he read the signs, Grover said. Duh. Of course, I said. Silly me. So we turned in Gladiola, Annabeth explained in her best, best strategy voice. We get money and we buy tickets to Los Angeles. Simple. I thought about my dream, the whispering voices of the dead, the thing in the chasm, and my mother's face, shimmering as it dissolved into gold. All that might be, might be waiting for me in the West. Not another bus. 
I said warily. No, Annabeth agreed. She pointed downhill to, toward train tracks I hadn't been able to see last night in the dark. There's an Amtrak station half a mile that way. According to Gladiola, the westbound train leaves at noon. And that is the end of chapter 12. And that was a pretty good chapter, don't you think? Because that was a really weird and creepy dream that Percy had, you know, with someone whispering, set me free. And I actually think it might be Kronos because uh, remember in the beginning of the book where they said that the Olympians had trapped Kronos in Tartarus, if I'm if I remember correctly, and he's whispering to Percy for him to let him out. So he's just asking him, you know, let me out and, you know, we could go against the gods. He's, you know, because he's kind of evil. So, yeah. And in the next episode, we will read chapters 13 to 14. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I hope you guys stay safe and stay out of boredom.